Good morning, marketers, and welcome to the Yippie Market Podcast, the only podcast that markets the shit out of it. If you market is brought to you by Mountaintop Data and Joto PR, and I'm your host, Sky Cassidy, joined by co-host Carla Jo Helms. Hi, guys. And uh, today we'll be talking with Meg Getch of Amazon Web Services about the non-marketing side of marketing, a little bit of a, uh, of a detour from the normal, you know, very specific topics that we do. Uh, so I'm got marketing in there twice. Yeah. Yeah. We can put the word marketing twice. Come on. Marketing, you know, <laughs> one saying non, so they kind of cancel out. But uh, really excited to talk to Meg about this stuff today. Um, we'll be talking about how revenues, operations, and other non-marketing campaign aspects of marketing departments and, and other connected departments affect marketing and are uh, an important part of the overall marketing success. Super um, important. Yep. Meg is, again, she's the um, sales strategy and operations lead over at Amazon Web Services, and she's an industry-recognized leader in operations, specializing in scaling high-growth businesses. Uh, she's founded marketing and sales operations departments at MongoDB and JW Player and co-founded the MongoDB Women's Group and co-founded the Women in Revenue Marketing Network Group based out of New York City. And she is an active mentor as well. Meg, really excited to have you on the uh, on the show today. Yeah. Hi, Meg. Hello. Excited to be here. So we've kind of given a, a little bit of an intro into you. Can you tell us a little more about yourself, uh, how you got into the marketing space and, and where you're at now? Yeah. So I kind of fell into marketing, uh, well, like marketing operations specifically, which I think actually happens to more people in the space than you realize. I, uh, I went to undergrad, thought I was going to be a filmmaker, or maybe a photographer. I studied something called um, modern culture and media. So that was like film theory and production. Landed out of college and realized I um, didn't want to do that. <laughs> and I didn't want to be a professor. So I, uh, I found myself, you know, out in the market. And I was with Vice Media Group for about a year and a half, helping run some of their experiential marketing campaigns. So we would get a sponsor like Converse, and we would go run a set of events for them. I then um, kind of wanted to go into the tech space. So I found myself at a very small MongoDB. It was actually called Tengen at the time. It was about 24 people. And what I was able to do there was go into marketing and marketing operations specifically because we were a team of three marketers and no one else really wanted to own Marketo. And I was very excited about it. And, uh, and I built up marketing ops from there. So really learning from the ground up everywhere from a very small instance all the way up to by the time um, six years later, we were about to go public. We had over 700 employees, a massive sales team. We had gone from the developer market all the way up to enterprises. And that's really where I, I got my marketing um, experience. That must have been a really fun time, I have to say. You know, I'm thinking about that. And I, know I want you to continue to tell us about what we're doing. But, you know, that's like a marketer's dream, right? Yeah, it was really, really exciting. So interesting. Um, I, you know, a lot of challenges with scaling, leadership changes, really getting to know um, and becoming an expert in systems and processes and yeah. into the, the market. So it was, it was a really lucky and awesome experience. I imagine as you're growing like that, you kind of get to do and direct things how you want because nobody's going to come to you and say like, hey, we, we need to apply some accountability here. I need to see, um, you know, I, I, I need to know that what you're doing actually is giving us ROI. You guys are just exploding. Yeah. And I think um, this happens a lot with, uh, with hyper growth is you do get leadership 
turnover happening. So you might have had maybe some direction going one way from one leader and you're building out your model and your attribution and all of that from that perspective. And then everything switches over or you've just like grown a huge amount of sellers and you have to change your go-to-market approach. Um, so that was a lot, You it is self-guided because I was kind of the constant through all of that change and scale. Um, and you kind of have to make the best decisions you can. Um, and that really gets into a lot of the non-marketing parts of marketing though, when you're doing that kind of growth and having to pivot and, you know, I can really imagine that you're doing way more things than just marketing. Yeah. I think that that's really where I started getting my interest in sales operations was I was just yeah. partnering with them as we were really building out Salesforce to support our marketing campaigns. We were scaling out an SDR group, constantly re-envisioning what an MQL is, how the funnel runs. Um, so yeah, that was, that was a great, great part about going through scale like that as you get to see so much of the business. And when you're growing like that, you you probably get to say you just anything you want. You can say, I want this. <laughs> like, uh, I want Salesforce and three other CRMs. I'm going to run them all. I want this. I want oh, Let's try this. I think um, I was always very um, questioning, you know, our investments and making sure we didn't have duplicative tools. So you really had to be tight on the tech stack and, and your approaches. And I remember some of the hardest points was trying to explain why you'd have a marketing funnel to, you know, the CTO and, and why they should care about it. So there was a lot of challenges, even though there was a lot of self-direction as well. Right. But at some point you say, Hey, you're new here. I step aside. I know what I'm doing. Look at our growth. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, you pivoted off of that and did what? So, right. So I was there for that kind of rocket ship journey and um, I got very interested in running um, something that was kind of now has become more regular, but felt newer at the time, which is revenue operations. So how do you have a centralized operations group that is supporting the CMO, the CRO, um, the broader support um, organization? And so I went over to a company called JW Player that had varying degrees of operational infrastructure. And I had the opportunity to come in and bring it all together into one team. Um, there was a bunch of optimization to do on the existing technology, bring in new technology, and then actually build out a team to support it. Um, and so that was great because I finally was owning Salesforce, which is always something I was influencing at MongoDB. It was never under my purview. Um, and just learning kind of the challenges of that and, and how to work with an executive team to make sure that you have the operational infrastructure built out uh, the way the company needs. So most most people we have on the show are more about the creating the experiences and, and the storytelling of marketing and kind of the, the more marketing side of marketing. I, mean, I guess that's why the topic is the non-marketing side of marketing here. Right. It seems like you really like the operational side. You really like the nuts and bolts and the, the creating and managing the systems. Yeah, that was, um, you know, I, I really came from an event marketing background initially. And so I was out in the field and running marketing, marketing events. And I did our webinar and email programs. And what I found I just enjoyed the most was how do you actually kind of own the back end so that those programs and those program managers are able to just do their job, something it was a big pain point for me that I wanted to resolve was I didn't want any event marketer to be worried about their check-in systems or their email campaigns. They wanted just focused on how do you get the best speakers and content and experience out there for the audience. And that's, that's a lot of what drove my um, interest in, and uh, career in operations. 
I'm getting the feeling that you hate waste and probably have a very clean desk. Uh, that's true. I also got an MBA in sustainability along the way. So <laughs> I'm starting, I'm starting to get, I've, I've been like following you. I love yeah, it. <laughs> since JW player, I've been following you, but I think uh, just starting to talk to you here, I'm getting a, I'm, it's solidifying a picture of, of who you are, a very organized, likes things clean and, and structured. I mean, the type of thing I, I get into it sometimes where I remember when I first implemented a CRM in a company and I just love the idea of everything having a place and going where it belongs instead of just randomness around. So I, I love seeing that in you. I think it fits perfect with this topic. Um, so we, where did we take you to JW player? And then um, can you, can you pick up there and tell us what kind of what happens next? Yep. So about four months ago, I moved over to Amazon Web Services. So I took the leap out of the startup small business world. And I've been there uh, doing the sales operations lead role, which is you're partnered with a sales leader. And you, they call it being the chief operating officer of the business. So you help with forecasting, strategy, and planning. Your chief operating office officer of what to part the of sales it? leader. So this yeah. sales leader, yeah, owns like I'll say a fifty-person team, and you're kind of their CEO. Got it. That what is awesome. that? What do you do on a daily basis? What's that like? Yeah. So it's, you know, unlike, um, I think traditional sales ops, which could be owning the systems, answering tickets, like that, just like real operational role. This one much more is about, um, you know, how you scale the business and the, the planning and strategy go to market side of things. So, um, you know, daily or weekly, you'd say be responsible for the forecast and kind of the pipeline quality that um, sales is producing and working. And then if you, you know, scroll up a month or a quarter view, you're running QBRs, you're putting together strategy papers, there's a lot of writing at Amazon. So you'll say, hey, I think this is a better way to segment the team. And you'd write a six pager about that. Hmm. Um, and then, you know, half the year actually ends up being about annual planning. So we're just going into that season, but setting the quota, setting the account lists and territories for the team. Um, so it's been a very interesting and dynamic role um, and a really great way to, to learn the business. So you yeah. mentioned setting account lists. Account-based marketing has been a big deal for, for a handful of years now and for many people in sales forever. Um, what's your opinion on account-based marketing? Do you guys use it there? Do you think it's something that's got picking power in the marketing department? You know, I, at this, when account-based marketing, like ABM became a, a, you know, a buzzword, I don't know what, how many years ago this was, I was always a little skeptical of it because isn't it just how you've always done marketing? Um, right. And, and I think more so now, you know, everyone is doing ABM and that maybe everyone was always doing ABM, but now you're going to have a strategy and it's all about having that set of accounts, those top targets you're going after, and then having your marketing mix against them. So um, I'm actually not as close to marketing within AWS, but from what I can see, they're doing this in all different capacities um, and very much how we think about sales too. So the team I support, you have one sales rep, they have 10 accounts. So they're, they're doing ABM on those 10 accounts at all times. Um, but it is, it's a, I think it's a critical strategy. Um, and, and especially if you think about the different markets and segments you're going after, you have to get those top accounts to really get trust and buy-in from that, you know, general uh, segment or market. And then you can, you know, go deeper there. 
Right. And you're, I mean, you're more on the sales side now. And I think all salespeople, when ABM started coming up, were saying either like, yeah, no duh. What were you guys doing before? Or some <laughs> version right. of finally you're catching up or with us. You. you guys are following. The, yeah. <laughs> it's about time you see things the way we see things. Come on, marketing. So a lot of people have a path from sales and then into marketing. You've got the opposite mm. path. You've got the path. I mean, you started out in marketing. You had a lot of success there. And then you transitioned over to sales. Um, do you see much of that? I mean, do you see benefit, I guess, in that, that path going that way? Does your marketing history um, influence a lot of what you do? Yeah, I think the the real big benefits I have from that path is um, there's a whole like user side of it that I think about a lot. So I was always building for a marketing campaign manager of whatever different program channel they were doing. Um, and so I think a lot about from a sales perspective, what is their day like? How are they spending their time? How are the systems supporting them? Um, another huge aspect of it is the funnel. So I've just, you know, I, it was a JW player. I owned everything from you know, the marketing systems all the way through the customer success systems, including an SDR team. So just thinking about every single point um, of the funnel, who's engaged, what should they be doing? What kind of data points do you need to do the reporting? Um, so I have a much stronger kind of grasp of that than someone that kind of, in, if you're coming up through sales, you've seen parts of it. And then as you go towards marketing, you're kind of seeing a broader view of it. Um, but I think those two things have really served me well. So you were instituting a funnel in marketing before account-based marketing became a fad. You, you'd mentioned that, uh, you know, your bosses, you were having to show them why this marketing funnel should exist. They were probably thinking, don't you just have some ethereal thing that sales makes fun of where you do stuff and we never know if it, if it matters. <laughs> um, so then coming into sales, you're like, yes, now I have a, you know, nobody's questioning the funnel anymore. Yeah, you know, I think um, what's interesting being in sales versus marketing is like you have so like so many thoughts on the funnel. You might have a couple different funnels. You have different you know, uh, first touch model, last touch, multi-touch. Whereas in sales, there's a bit more of is it working? Like am I seeing the direct benefit? That's kind of all you care about. Mm -hmm. um, so in a way, it's like I, I miss sometimes being as close to all of those um, details as sometimes in sales it's a bit broader or you might just care about one channel over the other. And that's the based marketing on the people there. Fruit, is that right? When you care about one channel more than the other? Sure. Yeah. The, or just like, um, especially as you go into different segments, you might find that certain channels are just so much more powerful mm -hmm. um, for certain types of customers. And so they'll get lasered in on that. Or, you know, the classic, I had a really good success with this type of event. So I'm going to do that event over and over again. Um, of course, that's why you have marketing to push sales to do the whole mix and to really make sure you're getting all the exposure you need. Um, but I think it's more just uh, even the, you know, the deep diving that you do on, on marketing to think about all these metrics and framework end up just kind of being a superficial output um, to, to a sales rep and even sometimes sales management. Getting to the kind of the non-marketing <laughs> side of marketing, starting with sales first. What does sales need from marketing? Most of our, our listeners are, are in the B2B marketing space. Like what should they, if they really want to help sales and make sales happy, what does marketing want and expect from them? So what does marketing want from them? Or or, what I'm does sorry, sales what, is, what is sales? Yeah, yeah. I have yeah. marketing on the brain. 
So I actually think a lot of the incredible work that marketing does, and uh, especially when you think of a broader, like an entire marketing department and all the different um, channels and programs they're driving, there can be a lot of it that sales is just not really going to see or understand, but the output is there. So I always think about like branding is one of those things that takes such a strong and smart group of people to make happen and really get out there. And then the output, you know, no one's ever, some people might say your brand is great or I've seen you guys everywhere, but you know, usually it's just going to be a really positive um, impact on the conversation within sales without directly knowing it. So I, first of all, I think there's a lot of hard work that marketing is always going to be doing that sales might not directly say is, is supporting them. Oftentimes you only hear right. from sales when they're not getting what they want or when they don't think something's happening to the degree they should. Well, do you um, think that's because oftentimes they just are so focused on the end result that they don't actually see it and they can't actually connect the dots. Yeah. Or like a lot of the hard work done at the top of the funnel. And by the time they're getting there, they're just getting the benefit of having a great brand, having exposure, having been at a you know huge conference they threw, whatever those things are. And in sometimes it's hard to say like, you know, we get, so, you can get really lasered in on did marketing drive the opportunity or not, but I think there's just so much more of a world that marketing is supporting so that when that rep is having that conversation, they're having the best kind of foundation so of a conversation true. they could have. Is this what you do? Connect the dots for them? Um, it, in this role, there's actually, um, I mean, and this is AWS is quite large, obviously. Yeah. So like I, I have less interaction. I interact with a demand gen group, which is kind of like an SDR function quite um, consistently. And then I see the marketing programs that are coming and, and the different trainings and things that come out of that org. So I do less of that um, connecting of the dots. I just kind of am aligned with them as part of the strategy. Um, but in smaller companies, I'd be way more aligned with, with that. So in JW Player, for example, I really had to connect the dots because I was owning that entire funnel from acquisition to customer reten retention. Got it. it. It seems almost like sales when it comes to understanding marketing's input on something like branding, you need like an, it's a wonderful life experience for them <laughs> where they can see what it would have been like without that branding. Because like you're saying, you get, you get the benefit of it and you're just like, yeah, this is how a company is supposed to be. Or you don't. And you're like, why is it so hard to sell? People don't know who our company is or think we suck or <laughs> You know, right. you know, they need to have that experience movie. of what if marketing never did branding? <laughs> I want to see the marketing be, version of it, The Wonderful Life. <laughs> that would be a that would be a really cool film, actually. I've seen yeah, a lot. A wonderful of, marketing. We're gonna make it. I, yeah, I've had a lot of interesting experience with reps over the year who have been at different types of environments, and they will have very like here it's so much better, and they'll actually be able to like talk to all these specific marketing programs. You're like, oh, that's so great. I'm glad you see the value of that because they've seen it, you know, not mm -hmm. like that in another environment. When I'm on a sales call, people already know who Amazon is. That's a, that's really <laughs> nice to have. <laughs> Obviously, yeah, that's a nice. Um, output of having such a large brand. And one thing I will say that it, even in this large environment that I'm in now, that it's very important is that marketing communicate the programs they are doing in some way that reps can retain it. So like, and I remember being in marketing and always being so frustrated with the concept of a calendar. So like, how do you actually properly display? And there's so much going on at AWS. So this is quite difficult, but like, how do you show for each sales team, the proper, you know, these are your top 
things happening in the field that you can take advantage of over the next month or whatever the time span is. That's something that I still mm. see as a really big struggle for management and sales to wrap their head around. And, um, and I don't have a good answer, but I will just say to marketers, like, you know, how do you just get to that cadence, that communication uh, structure and cadence that really sticks with sales on the important things? That's interesting. As a company gets bigger, because it seems like a smaller company, you can convey that information really fast. It, like you're so much more agile. When a company scales and gets bigger, does it need to get more simple with its branding in order to get that out to the salespeople in order to actually, or is it, do you just have to keep shoving it and, and get more efficient or whatnot? I don't have a good answer. You know, I think like the approach that's being taken right that's now. That's probably spoken like a pro. <laughs> <right>? <laughs> yeah. Within like within the sales group I support now, there's a, there's a Monday email that goes out with all of the top programs you should care about. The marketing managers are in every sales team meeting, you know, talking about the great things that are happening. There's, there's so much, you know, like, like personalized touches there and still I hear, I don't know what's going on with marketing. I, I'm not like, where do I see a calendar? Yeah. Like, you how know, come so I didn't it, hear about this? How come I didn't know we were doing this? <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, but I'm, I'm seeing some nice to dos there. I mean, you're having your your sales and marketing people are are in a shared meeting every week and a shared email every week to so everybody is informed as much as possible. And then sometimes, you know, things are going to be going on that not everybody knows about. There's just too much going on. Right, and I think the other big thing to think about is the training that might be put on the the sellers the certifications are going through whatever all those the whole like kind of I always call it like a day in a life like what are all the asks that are being put on top of a sales rep or manager and then how do you get your message through that noise of activity um, and in and, and smaller companies you can take a more holistic approach which is nice but um, that, that's something I'm seeing as a, a big struggle uh, for marketing right now so I'm hearing you saying no marketing no problems <laughs> sort of <laughs> sort of well um how would you relate this like what you do and maybe some of the the, the key takeaways that people on our podcast b2b marketers in you know all size companies a lot of them in startups you know how to take the non-side of marketing right revenue operations things like that and really make their marketing more um effective, you know, taking a holistic approach to it. What, what are some of the takeaways you would tell them? Yeah, I think um, in that smaller environment, just enjoying the fact that you, you can kind of know all the communication channels very easily and get alignment with that. So that's, that's a huge thing. If, if you, especially if you end up having different groups kind of supporting the sales team in different ways, getting aligned with them and thinking about almost your go-to-market approach with them. So how are we communicating and why? What are the expectations? What's the cadence of these things? If let's say you have a more key event once a year, you're going to want to actually, you know, have a lot of things kind of narrowing into that three months out and three months after. Um, and just being thoughtful that way uh, about the overall like calendar and schedule and asks of the team. Um, and then on really, the thing that really got me to understand sales when I was, um, in marketing at MongoDB was just spending time shadowing the reps and, and various different roles within sales. So, you know, oh, just asking. It's so simple, but it's so super <laughs> smart, isn't it? I mean, it's yeah. kind of like you could have had a V8 on that one. Right. Yeah. And it started because I was trying to simplify some Salesforce 
you know, fields and processes because we're getting feedback. They're spending too much time there. And so you're just sitting watching how an SDR, how a sales rep is interfacing with Salesforce. And you learn so much more about the business that way too. Like, hey, go and sit and see what these people are doing if you want to know how to work with them. And then, and then you'll kind of know how to better. So many things that you can get from that, right? The buzzwords that they use to get the prospects to respond or the, the key questions prospects always ask or what, you know, mm -hmm. whatever they're doing, right? This is all market research for you. Yep. I want to take a, a real quick break. Um, we are speaking with Meg uh, Getch. She is the sales strategy and operations lead at Amazon Web Services, and we're talking about the non-marketing side of marketing, and uh, we will be right back. The If You Market podcast is brought to you by Mountaintop Data, and at Mountaintop Data, we're all about data for B2B marketing. Our goal is to improve the quality, depth, and coverage of our clients' targeted marketing data while removing the technical pain of accessing and implementing data. We help with everything from new target contacts to appending and cleaning existing data, all with the goal to free you and your team up to focus on creating great marketing experiences. Check us out online at mountaintopdata.com and sign up for our new top data search tool and get free access to search our database of over 30 million business contacts. Use the code hashtag IYM when signing up and get 200 free credits. Welcome back to the If You Market podcast. I am your host, Sky Cassidy. I've got co-host Carla Jo Helms here with me. Hi, hi. And uh, we've got Meg Getch of Amazon Web Services talking about the non-marketing side of marketing. I think, KJ, you had a, uh, you had a question during the break there for, for Meg. You want to jump in? It's probably like the thing that's been on my mind through this whole thing. It's like how to get things done. Like how do you get strategy and planning around marketing. Yeah. And I think this is something that is a huge pain point as you're scaling and as you're getting more and more marketers coming in, more sellers are joining, you got to get more programs going. It's not, I remember doing like a webinar once a month and then it was, can you do it twice a month? And then can you do it every week? <laughs> and it was just like, how do you make that happen? Um, and so something I found that was really productive with that was moving uh, the operations team into sprint planning, using some kind of ticketing system, um, and just getting standard templates put out there for, you know, kind of your checklist for whatever, is it a webinar, an email, an event. Um, and that, you know, as kind of tedious as it was to get off the ground and get adoption, it's what really allowed us to to do so many programs. So systematizing things. Yeah. Like, can you break down the 10 steps that a webinar or an event takes? And of course, there's always going to be things that might pop in and out depending, but usually you can get it down to a, a set of standard approaches that you need to take. I'm picturing that you also love checklists and bullet points. <laughs> yeah, I had a... Um, there's some, I'm forgetting who this was, but it was at MongoDB. They had worked in the aerospace world at some nice. point. And they were like telling me about the checklist that every plane goes through before it takes off. Wow. And kind of our inspiration of, well, a webinar is not flying a plane, but let's make sure we have all the steps down before it, you know, before it takes off. That's awesome. I use, I, I can't, I'm forgetting the name of it. I think it was Freakonomics. Maybe they talk about that. And I use that on my people here when they are like, I, I don't need a checklist for that simple. I'm like, well, you missed a step. So I think you do. And pilots are really professional and they use them. So yeah, maybe you need a checklist. It's, it's always shocking when people kind of push back on why not have it. One of the things that I say to them here is maybe it's not for you. If you get hit by a bus tomorrow, are we going to be able to pick your stuff up? 
Like right. we need your processes down. I'm sorry, but you have to be replaceable. And I think the best leaders really will make themselves replaceable. So somebody without the skills and knowledge they have can do the tasks that can be systematized like that and then find another task that they can master and then make replaceable again. Right. Well, it probably seems so tedious and like you're doing a lot of writing when you're doing that, but I'd imagine that it saves a hell of a lot of work. Like, yeah, over, you know, you do something and then it's <laughs> right. not going to, you know, you know, oh, we're not doing that now. Right. Or whatever. Yeah. One thing that really, um, was useful and this is out of MongoDB was uh, like just even having a quality check on grammar and spelling and even uh, from the branding point of view voice you know being able to pull that into the process with any email you're sending out or any content you're trying to get out we were able to just pull that in as another step and so mm. that was really useful especially as we were just moving really quickly on a lot of different things. Yeah. Meg, you said grammar, and that makes me think of something. I want to I want to do some quick fire questions here with you, and one of them is um, things like where do you come down on Grammarly, the program. <laughs> I think Grammarly is fantastic. Um, they, I mean, I will say they're also a customer of AWS, so I'm very supportive <laughs> of them. But no, I, I've been using Grammarly for like a year and a half. Um, it you know it depends how deep of a grammar nerd you are so obviously there's I'm maybe I'm a big grammar nerd <laughs> <laughs> but i think for from a business just moving quickly perspective i found it really useful um and i also uh had some folks that were kind of like english was their second language and that was a really huge help for them as well mm. um and just a really easy to use product so i'm terrible with grammar so i just find it shaming <laughs> <laughs> you can take it that way yeah. So um, in that same vein, how about uh, you, you talked about ABM earlier. I want to get over into some marketing areas. If they don't really apply to you now, you can just uh, say pass. Cold calling. Do you think cold calling is still effective and part of the, the marketing and sales process? Yeah, you know, so I'm actually less close to like Greenfield or um, with, with Amazon, but uh, at JW Player, I just found, you know, it, I think cold calling should always be backed by some marketing. So having some kind of message that's been put in front of them that you've known they've had exposure to. We had some really good, uh, you know, kind of moments at MongoDB where people were cold calling on someone that had never even heard of us or even knew the concept of a NoSQL database. And that's just not, that's not good use of whoever's calling's time. And so just making sure you have some kind of, peppering of the message, usually, you know, months in advance, kind of leading up to then getting on the phone. Right. But I've had great, you know, getting um, good, you know, if you someone has a message, it's been on their mind, let's say they looked at an email you send, you can have some of those stats, depending on what system you're using. Then you get someone on the call and they're actually, oh yeah, I've been thinking about that, that, you know, they're able to have a conversation instead of just shutting you down. Yeah, I agree. Where, I think some people, you see them post online, oh, cold calling's dead. And what they really mean is calling somebody where they know nothing about you and you know nothing about them. Like yeah. you have oh, to exactly. at least have some, some, some information on them, know what their company is, know what the, you know, what their it title is, say, you know, yeah, yeah. yeah, have their LinkedIn profile in front of you, have something going on. It's still cold and that neither of you were, you know, expecting the call. You didn't expect them to pick up and they didn't expect you to call, but. Um, right. Okay. And, and that's where ABM also becomes really important because hypothetically, if you have an ABM perspective and process in place, you're going to have some of those other data points that people have gone through. They've looked at their tech stack or they've looked at the website, whatever it is. 
Yeah, right? that makes sense. The, the business version of a pickup line is what you're doing, cold calling. <laughs> the more you know about the person, the, the more effective you can be with that. Um, what about email? Is, is cold emailing dead? Yeah, email's tough. Um, I've seen it be really successful. And, and so I worked, I ran the SDR team at GW Player and we spend a ton of time on how do you get the right message? How do you capture someone's interest? And, you know, it's a, it's a delicate balance. And it also, again, just to medical calling, you need to know that they have some background and some need for you. So we had some great examples of just obviously that simple short message with some key examples of customers that actually were doing something we believed that customer would want to be doing with the product that were successful. But I think the thing with email is just so much volume that you're, going to get ignored some huge amount of the time. Um, and so it's like, how do you be persistent without being annoying or ruining your reputation? Um, right, it's a right. delicate balance. I would say cold email exists, but spam is dead. Like if you're yeah. an ABM highly targeted, you know, the message is relevant to them with intent data nowadays, even that there's some, you know, they're more likely to even be looking at and thinking about your, your product or service at the time. Great. But just spamming out a bunch of random people, um, yeah, your good business is dead. Yeah, you have to segment and you have to have a specific voice for that audience. What about uh, agile marketing and scrum style management? How do you uh, how do you feel on that stuff? So I, I really like that. That was really productive for me. Um, and from the operational side, that kind of like letting you know, letting the checklist happen, we, we used uh, Scrum for that. And then the other big thing was just moving into like a two-week sprint cycle. You know, I found especially when you're doing a high volume of this type of work, it can be, it can be a real grind. And if you don't give people kind of some feeling of accomplishment when there's an ever ending list of things and programs to launch. Um, and I actually, that's one of the things I found most productive about that kind of format is just seeing your progression through what you're trying to get done in a specific period of time. Um, and also that can even work for larger, you know, multi-month projects. You can break them into components and you're, okay, I am actually getting towards this annual goal, even though I still feel really far away from it in August. You can kind of see all those different components moving along. Excellent. And then one last question in this, uh, in this line of questioning, and then we'll get back to some more, uh, uh, more friendly general conversation. Um, data privacy really big one. What are your thoughts on the data privacy? Hey, companies need this info to have a more personalized experience and hey, companies shouldn't have this info war. Yeah, this is a tough one. Um, I think there was, you know, there was all of this preparing for um, GDPR and just like be overly compliant everywhere. And then GDPR kind of hit and it wasn't as big of a splash as you thought it was. Um, so I think, you know, when I, after that, I like, there's a standards that you're gonna, you're gonna have to abide by, you know, making sure people are aware that they're opting in to your email cadences, um, giving them the chance always to opt out, but something, this goes to products, you know, the products that people are building and marketing, but when you're capturing that profile information from website visits to, um, any form you fill out, that's where I think it's, it, that's more of a delicate balance. And, um, I think the question you always need to ask is how much of it do you need to hold on to, uh, from the marketing perspective, you mm -hmm. know, and I, like we really narrowed it down, um, at my time at MongoDB, just kind of a simple set of traits, um, of like active traits, maybe they've given us like telling us about what they're doing with the product or, um, what they're interested in. And then that, that demographic information that you can kind of surmise from, you know, where they work, 
job titles, that type of thing, I think it's just less of something that you can call privacy because a lot of it is essentially public information. Um, of course, I've been out of this for a couple of years, so maybe some of this, <laughs> the rules have changed, but it's just really knowing like, what is the data you need and why? You don't just need to collect everything and hold on to it forever, right? Like yeah. if you're not using it, get rid of it. If you're posting online what you had for lunch, you can't then get mad at somebody for knowing what you had for lunch. <laughs> right. But if you have a private chat app and suddenly that company says, all your chats, you didn't know yep. it, but they're all searchable by, by anybody who pays us money or by anybody who knows how to search them or oops, they're just searchable. Then, then there's a problem on the company side, but yep. people really need to stop complaining about people knowing things about them that they're telling everybody every day on social media. Right. It's, it's kind of, Hey, data privacy starts with the individual. Now some of these companies are doing things they're not supposed to, they're hiding, you know, their, what they're doing in order to monetize it, but people need to take some personal responsibility. That's our lesson for the day. Yeah. <laughs> hey, what's your favorite marketing channel or channels? Oh gosh. I feel like I've been out of this for a little too long. Um, Put them in order. So I might not have a very good answer for you here. You can always say pass and then pass. we'll say we'll, we'll edit it out. We you can do pass. You could do pass. Yeah. Maybe pass on that. I could do technology. Yeah, let's do that. I mean, the key marketing technology I've I've really realized, and like, it, or the things kind of narrowing it down is um, obviously your marketing automation um, or platform is going to be there. Uh, but I've really gotten a lot of use out of tools that help put together the funnel and then also track the non like form related. Um, activity that you're doing. So be it like sales interact, bringing together sales interactions, what you've been doing on the website, um, even knowing like search terms, if they're again to data privacy, if that's something that's available um, and then pulling that into the funnel so you can have the data you need to be able to do any type of funnel modeling. Um, that's been really powerful. And now layering AI on top of that, like there's just a lot of um, opportunity to reach people quicker and um, with a with the right message. One last thing, or actually, you know what, Meg, I want to give you the, the last Thanks thing. Is, for there that, anything, yeah. is there any last thing you want to cover that we haven't talked about yet? No, I, I don't think so. Oh, then I'll take the last thing back. <laughs> um, general advice for B2B marketers, anything, um, anything in general you can put out there, whether it's marketing from your past experience or how to better work and integrate and understand the how important these other departments are? Yeah, I think, I mean, this, it really depends on the role, but I'd say it, it just like an overall advice would be know your customer. So if you're an internal function supporting marketers, know how they work, or if you're supporting sales or you're trying to get a message out to customers, like just know who you're working for and really work for them, understand them completely. Um, and, and maybe try to like put yourself in their shoes and in, in whatever way that is. But basically what's what sales does getting back to account-based marketing every day they're saying yeah hey marketers by the way do what we do but do it in marketing uh oh, i like that know your customer not just yeah. you know it, yeah. who you're working for that's actually a really good point <laughs> and then the other thing i'd say which is just from being in operations is if let's say something's not working the way you'd want it to work perfectly you know figuring out who you can partner with to make that happen and not just kind mm. of 
saying, well, you know, I've been told the system doesn't do that. Not to go around people, but just think big when it comes to the, the, what you're working on and, and, um, and don't kind of let no for an answer, you know, like really push to see what's possible. Right. Somebody solved that problem. Go find them and use them kind of. Yeah. Or, you know, get, have an informational conversation with someone somewhere else that you think has, has done it. Just really expanding what you're doing and not, not letting a system or, you know, current approach stop you. Excellent. One last quick question. One business superpower. If you could have one business superpower, what would it be? Oh, wow. Reading other people's mind. Ah. <laughs> knowing, knowing the future. Hey, know, the, know the customer, like right? Marketer, right? Yeah. yeah. Good one. Oh, yeah. If you know what the customer's thinking, that's an easy Good one. one. Fantastic. Well, it's been great talking to you, Meg. Let me see. Where can people find you? I know on LinkedIn, they can find you. Is there anywhere else you want to direct people to? That actually is, is the best channel for me. <laughs> Fantastic. And then obviously Amazon Web Services, um, if you don't know where to find that, um, Google it. But uh, <laughs> it's been awesome talking to you. Show notes, we'll have uh, this information as well in, in, in the show notes and more on Meg there. So that's at ifyoumarket.com. Uh, please share us on social media, tell a friend, give us a good review on iTunes. Any one of those three we'll take. And uh, on behalf of Carla Joe Helms and the If You Market team and Meg Getch of AWS, Thank you for listening to the If You Market podcast, where we believe if you market the shit out of it, they will come. Thanks, Meg. Thanks. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.